0: You're listening to Making
1: Contact. I'm Salima Hamarani and this is Making Contact. This week, on the anniversary of the Tubbs fire, while we're still in the middle of fire season on the West Coast. We hear from our friends at a new podcast called But Next Time about how communities organize and create new futures in the face of disaster. This is part one of a two-part series on the Tubbs Fire, and part two airs next week, so please tune in again. Here's But Next Time.
2: I need immediate help. It's very red. I can see
1: it. I need to get my kids out of here. You need to evacuate yourself. Do it now.
3: When I opened my door, it was like yellow, all yellow with the smoke. The fire is heading west and it's spreading
1: quickly.
3: People was like shocked, crying, running everywhere.
4: On the night of October eighth, twenty seventeen, a fast-moving wildfire in northern California killed twenty-two people. The Tufts Fire burned tens of thousands of acres of land and more than 5,000 structures.
5: Most of us were all seasoned dispatchers. Every window we looked out of was surrounded in fire. What I was hearing on the other end was complete chaos. So if I can't send everybody help, what can I do? I can prepare them to help themselves.
4: I'm Chriselle Pillay. Rose Arietta and I are your hosts for But Next Time, a podcast about the ways people tap into their resilience and organizing strength. When catastrophe hits.
6: I'm Rose. Chriselle and I met through a network of grassroots advocates working on issues of racial justice, housing, and land. For years, she and I have been on the front lines of crises that have threatened our communities in Texas and California.
0: When it rains, it pours through my living room windows, my kids' window. The mold is deep inside of the walls and people are extremely sick. Years later, they still have not repaired a lot of these homes. My three babies, two of them have severe asthma. They, they can't breathe.
4: Since Hurricane Harvey nearly drowned Houston in 2017, I've been with the Home Coalition, collaborating with people in my city who want to make Houston stronger and more equitable
6: and I've been working with the Just Cause Gauza Husta in San Francisco and Oakland, where renters have organized to prevent displacement in two of the most unaffordable cities in the US.
4: Rose and I came together to find and share stories that could help our communities in these uncertain times.
6: A lot of the tenants
0: did not understand their rights. She has started to help organize the women that are in this apartment complex. And for over a year now, we've had a lawsuit going. We've been begging. There's never a time where you can't use your voice. Your voice is your freedom.
4: Over the course of this series, we'll meet activists and organizers committed to building justice and a sustainable future, even as they deal with wildfires, earthquakes, flooding, and the pandemic.
6: You're listening to but next time.
4: It feels lonely out here.
6: It does feel lonely out here. You don't hear kids, you don't hear bikes, you don't hear the bustle of people walking by. It's just like a dead zone. Except for the builders to the construction, and you wonder what happened to the people that lived here. Mm-hmm. Look, it just burned all the way down to, to the cement, to the foundation. Because if you have memories of fleeing a fire, you're not necessarily going to want to return. Yeah. The Tubbs fire that leveled this neighborhood in 2017 caught Northern California off guard thousands of people had almost no warning before they woke up in the middle of the night and ran for their lives. Tens of thousands in three counties evacuated, 22 people dead. I'm Rose Arrieta, and we're here in Santa Rosa, about an hour north of where I live in San Francisco. Chrishell Pele and I came here to learn from some of the most vulnerable people in the region, service workers, farm workers, and their families, about how systems fail them during the Tubbs fire.
4: I'm Chrishell, and I'm from Houston, born and raised. Before my visit to Sonoma County, I was only familiar with the reputation of a world-famous industry. Lush vineyards and green valleys and Beautiful hills that beckon tourists from all over with images of bounty, wealth, and the good life in Northern California's wine country. Huh. Driving in the area giving context. Who really can afford um, to live here? Yeah. How out of reach the housing costs are. Despite
6: the fact that there was a huge fire. Right. Michelle and I met through advocacy for our communities. Her neighborhood in Houston is historically African American. Many of my neighbors are black, brown, like me, or Asian. And we face many of the same battles.
4: Those of us already living with climate change have witnessed what many more people are waking up to. Disasters pull back the curtain on long-standing inequities in our society. The aftermath is an opportunity that powerful forces can really exploit to make matters worse. On the flip side, the people most affected can also seize opportunities to rethink and rebuild things with an emphasis on justice and the common good.
6: Here in 2017, the Tubbs fire overwhelmed emergency services and community members began leading by example and pushing elected officials, government agencies, and corporate nonprofits to do things differently next time. We wanted to learn all we could from them to help our people and yours.
4: As we drove around Santa Rosa to get our bearings, we saw how one neighborhood that had clearly been leveled by the fire was being entirely rebuilt. It was the Mark West neighborhood where the new homes under construction lined every street. It didn't surprise us when we discovered that this is one of the wealthiest neighborhoods in the United States, in the top
6: 15%. If you compare this to Katrina and how long people waited to get their homes rebuilt, mm-hmm. of course, this area is an economic driver, wine country, right. luxury. So look how fast, how quickly they recovered, really. Mm-hmm. If you still have folks
4: in Houston that are still living in moldy houses. Exactly.
6: (laughs) With blue tarps on their roofs. Over the next few days, we sought out people who could help us understand what life was like beyond neighborhoods like Mark West. They live and work behind the scenes of wine country. The thousands of people who make the agriculture and hospitality industries run, planters, Harvesters, farm workers, caregivers, hotel staff, dishwashers, line cooks, essential workers.
3: I do this job for, for him. He's my boy.
6: <laughs> the little little one.
4: Yeah, he's my boy. Mariano Alvarez came to California from Oaxaca, Mexico, yeah, yeah. and he grew up speaking tricky. In indigenous language,
3: (laughs) and he
4: works with California Rural Legal Assistance. That organization provides low-income Californians with information and free legal help related to employment, education, housing, and public benefits. We met with him in his office, decorated with his son's drawings and images of the farm workers he serves and heroes of the farm worker movement. I am the community worker here.
6: Do you work on specific cases? Do you go
4: out in the field? Oh, yeah. In collaboration with OSHA. Congress created the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, to ensure safe and healthy working conditions.
3: Also, I do field monitoring, field investigation, choose to make sure that our community uh, workers have restroom, toilet, shake, make sure that they have water, things like that.
4: As Mariano described the back-breaking work of California vineyard workers, it made me think about African-American history in the South. You when you were talking about the grapes by the pound, I'm thinking about, oh, like cotton by the pound, you know, mm-hmm. and even after slavery with sharecroppers living on the plantations. They pay
3: piece rate, which means all depends how much you pick up. And that container is pretty heavy. If you're not strong enough, you're not going to be able to lift that container. And you have to be very fast to get your pay. But it's very expensive to live here. It's very expensive to live in Sonoma
4: County, in Napa County. We asked Mariano about the night of the Tufts fire. El fuego, in 2017. He was at home asleep when a noisy interruption woke up his family. Around 4 a.m.,
3: someone came to my door. When I opened my door, it was like yellow, yes. all yellow with the smoke. People was like shocked, crying, run everywhere. The manager came approached approach me and say, "We are emergency now. You have 10 minutes to get your stuff. 10 minutes." And we say, "Where we go now? North or south? East or west?"
4: We talked to several people like Mariana, who had no warning that night. They learned they were in immediate danger from a knock on their door or a phone call from relatives. Others found out about the danger on a
6: local radio station. Alicia Sanchez is the manager of KBBF. It's a mostly volunteer, non-commercial radio station. And I'm
2: the president of the board of directors here. The janitor, (laughs) the housekeeper, (laughs) the mom (laughs) to all.
6: KBBF has served Spanish speakers in Sonoma County for 40 years. During the Tubbs fire, it was thrust into providing urgent disaster information because none of the emergency information from local authorities was in
2: Spanish. Señor Francisco, he's the, one, the first one that called me and said, Doña Alicia, there's a fire in Santa Rosa, and I just want to see, is that okay if I go to the radio just to find out what it's about? She was out of town when the Tubbs
6: fire hit, and Senor Francisco, a longtime DJ, called from Petaluma to say he wanted to drive the 20 miles north toward the fire to get to the radio station.
2: He's a very popular DJ in the morning. His audience is farm workers, landscapers, construction workers, truckers, people who are in hotels, people calling in from the field. And Senor Francisco said, Si me voy a morir, me voy a morir enfrente estos micrófonos. If I'm going to die, I'm gonna die in front of these microphones giving information al pueblo, to the community.
4: Can you imagine driving toward that fire? As every car heading in the opposite direction is full of people trying to get away from it, that's what Senor Francisco did. He told the
2: story to his daughter, and his daughter said, "Apa, ese día tú salvaste vidas. That day, Father, you saved lives. And he told me, Senor Francisco said, You know, I guess we did. KBBF did. And we did.
1: Just listening to the podcast, but next time, and part one of their piece on the Tubbs Fire, which broke out in California in October of 2017. And you're listening to Making Contact. To get more information about our shows and get behind the scenes information, visit radioproject.org. And now, back to the show.
5: At that night, just broke my spirit. I was listening to my community basically lose everything.
6: This is Alma Bowen. She was a 17-year veteran emergency dispatcher with the city of Santa Rosa when the Tubbs fire hit. We met her at an event where she was distributing disaster preparedness information and
5: supplies. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you. But as a dispatcher, I remember that night of the fire just being taken back by what I was hearing. The lack of any preparedness. People had never considered evacuation routes. People didn't have go bags. People were, you know, you put panic on top of, of not being prepared and you get chaos. And that's what we experienced that night.
6: Alma told us that she had seen firsthand how that chaos was even worse for those who didn't speak English. Her family had arrived in Sonoma County from Mexico when she was three, and her father was a Spanish-speaking farm worker. So, as a dispatcher, language access was of special concern.
5: I had seen a small spot fire and it was very windy. And I'm talking the type of wind that when you walk, you have to put effort into walking because the wind wants to push you back. So as soon as I logged in and put on my headset, the calls were coming nonstop. Is the house itself is on fire? Not uh, yet, but it's, it's going to be any minute now. We have huge uh, vegetation fire, and we have multiple structure fires in that area. <laughs> gotcha. 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 So we'll, yeah. we'll get somebody to you as soon as we can. Okay, I'm going to try and keep hosing down.
6: As soon as one call ended, another one was queued up on her headset. Throughout the night and the next day.
5: How did you hold up during this whole time? We we didn't have time to really think about anything. During certain times of the night, every window we looked out of in our center was surrounded in fire. So at certain points, we were looking at our management and asking him, are we safe here? It didn't feel like we were, you know.
4: Alma explained that the dispatch center was equipped to deal with individual emergencies, not an entire county in
5: crisis, There was one particular call, and they were vineyard workers that were being housed on a site, and they really didn't even know where they were. Mariano had told us about
4: how agents, the middlemen between employers and the crews they hired, transported workers to farms and vineyards. Some pickers stayed in trailers on work sites without transportation, so they're stuck until the agent picked them up again.
6: Somebody referred the call from the vineyard workers to Alma because she was the only dispatcher who spoke Spanish. A translator service was available over the phone, but sometimes her coworkers called her over to help them. Alma told us the culture of the office sometimes made her uncomfortable.
5: At that point, I was the only non-white person that worked there. There were terms being used um, in the dispatch center they would call Hispanic panic. And I remember hearing both the crews out in the field and fellow coworkers using that term. And being that I had no idea, like, what does that mean? And, you know, I knew it was derogatory. I felt it was derogatory at one point. I was like, what are you talking about? And they were like, well, you know, a lot of times the Hispanics, and I'm all, first of all, don't call him Hispanics, you know. But, I, you know, they call in and it can be a fever and they're completely wigging out and they're screaming and yelling. And, and I said, did you ever consider that maybe their experience to calling a system is a little bit different than what yours might be? They come from countries where uniforms are not friendly.
6: So that night, one of Alma's co-workers turned that call from the migrant workers over to her.
5: And because they didn't know the address and they couldn't speak English to read any type of sign, she was having the worst time trying to get a location on them. And so once he spelled it out letter by letter, we actually were able to get a location for them. And so once I talked to, to the gentleman, I told him, you know, there's nobody there that's going to come help you, so you guys need to get out. If you have a body of water that you guys can get into, you know, do that. That night, we ran out of help. And that was absolutely the hardest thing to tell people. Nobody is coming for you. So even though there's a wall of fire in front of you, you have to figure out how to get through that.
6: Alma didn't get back home to her family for 24 hours. In the days to come, when the paper listed the names of people who died, she paid particular attention.
5: I kept looking to see if there were any Latino names in there because I'm like, I was really worried. It really weighed on me. Like, did they get out? Because you don't know. And as a dispatcher, that's one of the things you deal with a lot of times is uh, you don't get to see the outcome or know the outcome.
4: While Alma fielded hundreds of calls from individuals, Alicia and the KBBF staff and volunteers worked to broadcast evacuation routes and other information in real time. Officials did not hold a press conference until the next day. And then it was only in English.
2: Alicia, the station manager, did the best she could with that. I translated what was being said by the different people from the city, the county, the firemen, the sheriff, highway patrol, all the kind of officials. When there was a pause,
4: whoever was translating would then go on air and another person would take over monitoring the announcements and working on translation. The next day, people at the station decided Alicia should go to the press conference and talk with the officials. Their listeners had so many concerns that nobody was addressing. One urgent issue was that many were afraid to go to shelters because they feared anybody in uniform would ask them
2: about their immigration status. We went to the press conference and I asked that question. I said, look, are you going to be asking immigration status? And of course, they all said, no, no, we're not going to do that. After that press conference, I went up to them and I said to them, you need to get on the air you need to call, here's my card. It needs to come straight from the official's mouth. Then the other thing I said, I know you've got some Spanish-speaking personnel. Put him up there. So they did. They started to then have a second press conference. First it was the English press conference, and then afterwards they would do it in Spanish.
6: When we spoke to KBBF's program director, Edgar Avila, about the crucial role the radio station played during the disaster, he offered a reality check.
3: It feels like what we did is a no-brainer. I feel like the story is more about what didn't get done by others that actually have resources than have tons of money. That's the story, rather than what we did, which is what any community organization really would, would do or should be doing.
4: After the smoke cleared, Many people had lost their homes and jobs. As we've seen on the Gulf Coast, there are countless ways those who survive a disaster can fall through the cracks. We wanted to find the people in Sonoma County who were trying to make the recovery process just and fair.
6: Through my work on the housing crisis in San Francisco and Oakland, I knew that the North Bay Organizing Project was helping people struggling with the high cost of housing in wine country. I called tenant organizer Beatriz Camacho.
0: We're hearing and seeing so many individuals who struggle to pay rent and put food on the table and families renting out a room that's divided into four by like curtains, because that's the only way in which folks are able to afford a place to live here in Sonoma County that are cleaning homes of domestic workers like my mom was growing up, folks who are out working in the vineyards. folks who are renting.
6: When we got to Santa Rosa, Beatriz sat down with us to reflect on the tub's fire.
4: Focusing on tenants Mm -hmm. living in bad conditions prior to Mm
0: -hmm. these disasters and then not having any resources afterwards.
4: In 2017,
0: the focus was on the homes that were lost, Mm -hmm. right? But then what about the renters that were renting those homes? and looking at individuals who were evicted from their homes that were still standing so that then unfortunately the owners would be able to rent them to folks who perhaps lost their home and had insurance money we had one of our leaders that spoke up and he shared the story about how his brother who was living in Coffee Park when the fires happened he like hosed down the house to make sure he would save it you know before evacuating the house was like one of the only ones standing in that area and then the land- landlord evicted him from that home, and then we rented it to somebody else.
4: Oh, yeah, that sounds familiar. In Houston, when people profit from disaster or any humanitarian crisis, we call that disaster capitalism. It sure
6: is. This has happened in Haiti. It's happened in Puerto Rico. It happens all over the world. On average, rents right after the Tubbs fire went up 36 percent. Some of the landlords were brought to court and ordinances were passed to prevent price gouging, but these were just temporary protections.
0: Our city council in Santa Rosa decided to not extend the local emergency price gouging ordinance.
4: So often the safeguards in place don't protect us. We see loopholes that ultimately leave our neighborhoods even more vulnerable to exploitation. The housing crisis is definitely getting worse, not better.
6: Beatriz explained that long before these wildfires, low wage workers, about 28,000 of them undocumented, struggled to find affordable housing. These wildfires made a longer-term crisis worse, a rental market gone haywire. The year after the Tubbs fire, an average two-bedroom apartment was $2,500 a month, while farm workers brought home considerably less.
4: The math just doesn't work. How do people survive? Beatriz had been working with the coalition to create a tenants union to protect the rights of low income
0: renters. We had our very first Sonoma County Tenants Union General Membership Meeting and Renters Assembly.
5: I forgot
0: to say this at the beginning, there are over 15 million tenants in California. Folks from all across the county came together in unity and solidarity as renters, talking about issues that are important to us, talking about forming apartment associations, talking about community land trusts, how do we look at housing in a different way because the way we're um, looking at it right now is not working. So
5: here we go. The California state legislature enacted this rent cap that we've been talking about. Um, So each year, the
4: landlord may not raise the rent more than 10% of the current rent. Amazing. In Houston, rent caps are outlawed. That's so wrong. That's crazy. Uh So even when cities create anything that looks close to inclusionary zoning, the state preempts it and says, no one in Texas can do this.
6: In California, though, there are so many exceptions that it really only covers about half of the state's renters. We can do better. More than half of renters in California pay more than 30% of their income to stay housed. That's unaffordable and means millions of people are on the verge of homelessness. One of the things
4: that we value in in this beloved community in this organization is language justice. We want to take a moment to acknowledge the interpreters today. Right? Let's give it up for our translator.
6: It was exciting to feel the energy of people getting organized. It's so clear, something has to change.
4: I came away from that meeting feeling like they are really building a movement. Because what's happening in Sonoma County
2: doesn't only affect Sonoma County and the folks that live here, it affects everybody in California, right? This is a statewide problem and we need to address it everywhere.
0: And so this is just the beginning and it's exciting and we're looking forward to uh, what the future holds for us. We'll follow up on that beginning and
4: on the ways people are organizing for a just and fair future in our next episode.
6: We are your hosts, Chriselle Pellet and Rose Arrieta. We produce this series with our senior producer, Leah Mahan who edited this episode with story editor Cheryl Duvall. Catherine Mondo mixed the sound, and Fernando Arruda wrote the music. Thanks to Rosalia Valencia-Tau, our translator and archival researcher. And thanks to KQED and Reveal from the Center for Investigative Reporting and PRX for 911 calls and dispatch tapes.
4: But next time, it's part of the Rise Home Stories project, made possible by a grant from the Ford Foundation's Cities and States program. Jolu Productions and Working Films offered leadership and support. Executive producer, Luisa Dantas. Supervising producer, Paige Wood. Impact producer, Anna Lee and Julia Steele-Allen. Associate producer, Kati Diallo. Special thanks to Amy Kenyon, Jerry Maldonado and Lane Kaplan-Levinson.
6: To learn more about the Rise Home Stories project, please visit our site at risehomestories.com. For more about But Next Time, visit us at butnexttime.com.
1: You were just listening to the podcast, But Next Time, and we'd love to hear from you. What are your thoughts on the increasing climate-related emergencies we face as communities? And what can we do to keep each other safe? Join the conversation on Facebook. Our Twitter handle is making underscore contact. And on Instagram, we're making contact radio project. And that's it for today's show. The Making Contact team includes Monica Lopez, Anita Johnson, Sonia Green, Jessica Partnow, and I'm Salima Hamarani. Thanks for listening to Making Contact.